You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. We want to welcome you here this morning. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the pastors. Whether you're here with us live, whether you're watching us online, or whether you're joining with us in the Cross Point Center, we're so glad that you've chosen uh, to gather with us today on this Lord's Day. Uh, if you are uh, first or second time with us and you're wondering what, we're, what this staycation is about, what we're talking about today, we are in week three of our series called Staycation. And what we wanted to do as a church, we know that over the course of the next few months, uh, people will be going on vacations. Uh, We know that a lot of people will be doing that, but we also know that most of our time is spent here in our community. And so we want to think about uh, together what it looks like to take a breath and breathe and to step back from kind of the things that we do in our lives and to evaluate Uh, our lives and and the trajectory that they're on and and then be able to make some determinations of areas that maybe we need to be refreshed in. Uh, The first week we talked about uh, refreshing and gaining a perspective on rest and what that looks like from God's word. Last week we talked about what it looks like to get a new perspective on reconnecting with our families as we uh, gather together. And today we're going to be doing uh, something similar as we look at rediscovering our community. But as as we think about vacations, whether it's New York City or whether it is Myrtle Beach, one of the things that we do is we always look for new opportunities, new environments that we are going to be engaging in, the new things that we can do, because there's always opportunities for that. But whenever we're in our, in our local area, oftentimes we get consumed with all the things that are going on around us. How many of you guys, we're going to just a quick few minutes of polls here, okay? How many of you just in general find it relatively easy to get consumed in something, anything? Just raise your hand if you find it easy to get consumed. All right, guys, I want you to look around. That is, that's everybody, okay? So we are all on the same page here with that. Now let's do a little bit more. How many of you find it easy to get consumed on something like social media? That could be like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all right, yeah, we got a lot of you guys. How many of you guys are more entertainment junkies? You get involved in Hulu or Netflix or something like that. Okay, yeah, you got some binge watchers in here, all right? Some of you guys do both at the same time. Like you try to multitask and you're, you know, your Instagram or TikTok, whatever you're watching on, uh, on, uh, on, on YouTube. The reality is that it's easy for us to get consumed in life. And there's one little device that has made that so much easier for us, isn't it? It's these things. Cell phones make it so easy for us to get consumed. And the reality is cell phones have have made us not be able to do things that we normally are able to do on a regular basis, like walk. Now, how many of you guys, you you know what I'm talking about. You you guys already have a a thing in your mind of of a time like this. How many of you are, are fairly confident that you're good at walking and texting? How many of you guys think that you're, all right, oh, most of you guys are not. So most of you guys are like the stop and text people like, okay, I got to stop and text. Okay, so of those of you that are confident walking and texting, let's just be honest here. How many times have you, how many of you have actually run into somebody or into something? (laughs) A few of you are honest about it. Other of you are like, I don't know if I want to raise my hand. All right, I got a few of you guys. Yeah, so I did a little bit of research on this and there's actually an article out there about people that fail while walking and texting. Now, there's some that are like run of the mill, you know, like ran into a stop sign, ran into a building, ran into a parked car, you know, things like that. Then you have others like fell into a manhole cover, right? So (laughs) stepped into that. One lady, I saw this lady, she was walking in the mall. Like there's really this thing out there. She walked in the mall 
and she was texting and walking, didn't see the fountain in front of her. And she walked into the fountain, fell in, got up, looked around, nobody saw her, got out and kept on walking. I thought it was great. But then there's one, I mean, it's probably the worst, maybe the best. I guess it really just depends on your perspective here. If it was you, you'd probably think it was the worst, but the best from my perspective. Uh, there's, this, there's this lady in Michigan, okay? She was, she was, uh, she was on a pier on a lake. <laughs> she, uh, she gets a, a notification. She gets her phone out. She's texting and walking. And you know what I'm about to say next. She walked right off the pier. Six feet drops. She's in the lake. She's splashing around. Her husband jumps in to try and save her. He can't get her out. And eventually they call emergency services who have to come and drag her out of the lake only for her to start sharing with people why they should not walk and text and the dangers of it. Now, just to be clear, today's message is not entitled, don't walk and text or you'll fall off a pier and become the laughing stock of your community. That's not what we're talking about. But the reality is that that is just a, a picture into our lives of being easily consumed, that we get so involved in things that we fail to see what's going on all around us. Now, the reality for us is that if we're in a big city or if we're on our phones, that might be running into somebody that might be uh, bumping into a building or, or missing something on a vacation. But for us as believers, there's a, there's a bigger miss that we could potentially have. And that's missing the opportunities to minister meaningfully in our community around us. And so today, what we want to do is take some time and learn from God's word, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, uh, five principles. Uh, four of them are going to be observations from Jesus's life. One is going to be a direction that Jesus gives us. And all of these uh, principles are going to be able to help us to gain traction in this area. Because what we believe is this, that rediscovering our community refreshes us for service and for mission. Rediscovering our community refreshes us for service and for mission. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. The scriptures will be on the screen. Uh, if you have, uh, I would love for you to open there, turn on your device, or there's a Bible in the, in the seat in front of you if you'd like to follow along there. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. This is what we read. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people to study your word. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would work in us today in an effective and an effectual way uh, to draw us deeper into a relationship with you and also to compel us into mission uh, with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, the first thing that we notice in, this, in terms of an observation in this passage about Jesus's life is this, that he engaged intentionally. Jesus engaged intentionally. Notice what we see in verse 35. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. What we see here is that Jesus went with a plan. 
He wasn't just haphazardly kind of going out in his community. He went with intention. He had a plan before he went. And I don't know about you, but whenever we go on vacation or whenever we stay here for a staycation, we have a plan for the things that we want to go see, the things that we want to go do, the things that we want to uh, try and eat, because we don't want to we don't want to miss the opportunities. We don't want to waste the time that we have in those opportunities. Because we're surrounded by unfamiliar things, we tend to be observant and intentional with our time. But when it comes to our own area, have you noticed that everything tends to become scenery? Like everything is just kind of the backdrop of our lives. We just kind of go about uh, the different things that we do. Oftentimes, we go on autopilot. We go from one place to the next without even thinking about maybe the road that we traveled to get there, uh, or we, we, we go somewhere that we uh, would have normally gone in a particular time only to remember, I was supposed to be going somewhere else. I don't know why I ended up going this direction. It happened to us recently. Uh, two of our sons are playing baseball right now, right now, which if you have kids in sports, you know that that means basically every night you are out doing something. And uh, uh, we have multiple practices on multiple days because they're on two different teams, they're different ages, uh, multiple locations that we have to go to. And recently, one of our, uh, one of our boys, Silas, uh, his, his coach, we wanted to see some, uh, he, he wanted to add an additional practice for us. It was at a similar time than we normally went, but it was at a different field. And so that day we were getting ready to go, and, and I'm sure this no, never happens to you guys, but we're kind of rushing out of the door. You know, everybody's eating on the way out. You know, here's something to eat, here's something to eat. Our kids are all getting in the car, and we're, you know, it's like we're changing tires at the Daytona 500 or something. I mean, it's, we're in a really big rush to get out the door. And so here we are, we get in the car, we back out of the driveway, we head off to turn the wrong direction to go to the practice. We went the direction that we normally go, to get to the field that we normally practice on, only to remember about halfway through, we're going the wrong way. We're not even going to the right field today. It's all because we were running on autopilot. We just were doing the normal thing that we normally do without being intentional with our time. But whenever we look in this passage, we see these words that Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. Now we might think this is like the only time that Jesus ever stopped here. You know, we think maybe Jesus is like this international celebrity that hopped on Jerusalem air and flew from place to place to place. But what we know is that Jesus spent most of his ministry in a, in a particular geographic area, and that's in the area of Galilee. This is actually, if you read through Matthew's gospel, this is the third trip through Galilee that Jesus makes. And this is also considered Jesus's hometown. So whenever we think of Jesus's ministry, most of it happens in a particular area. This is his hometown ministry time. But we also see that even in this, he didn't just confine it to one specific kind of people. He was going through cities. He was going through villages. He was ministering to a wide variety of people. In this, we think of cities as you think of, of, the, old, of the New Testament. The cities were the centers of government. They were the centers of religion and law. They may be and have even been the centers for crime. So you think of a city in this context, something like Wilmington. And then you also see him talking about going to the villages. I love the way that one author describes villages. He says, they are the little out of the way hamlets where a man's world was his cottage, his cow, and his field of corn. So just imagine Burgall, and that would be kind of the, the, the picture that you have there. I don't hate on Burgall. We lived there for a while. I love Burgall. But as I think about this, and I think about Jesus's ministry to a variety of people, 
He never got bored with the people that he ministered to. I think about in our own community. Sometimes we may think, you know, I've already ministered to those people. I've already been there. I've already done that. I've already been involved in uh, seeking to reach those people. But the reality is that Jesus was familiar with people as well. He was around the same people on a regular basis, ministering to them in an intentional way. And one thing I wrote down over the course of the last few weeks is this. It just reminded me, Jesus did not allow familiarity with his context to become cause for coasting. He continued to engage with his community for the cause of the kingdom. You see, he didn't allow familiarity with the people that he was around to just kind of put it in coast and say, we'll just get through this. No, he, he leaned into that as an opportunity for the kingdom to continue to reach people. We think he could have just hunkered down with his disciples, right? He could have just gotten them in a room, continued to teach them and encourage them without thinking about all the people around them. He could have gotten consumed with his disciples, but he didn't. He continued to engage intentionally for the growth of the kingdom. So the question for us today is, has everything around us, our community, has it just become scenery for us? Whenever we pass by people, do we just pass by them without any intention of engaging them? And maybe we even think of it in this way. Are we even in the game with our community? Are you even in the game with your community? Or do you pass by uh, with people? Do you drive by people on the street and just pay no attention to them? The coworker in the cubicle next to you, have they become scenery in your job place? What about the neighbor across the street from you? Have you engaged intentionally with them to try and reach them for the cause of the kingdom? Now, as we stay in our area this summer, our, and you're, maybe you're thinking, okay, I want to engage intentionally, but I don't exactly know how to do that. Well, we're going to give you some starter steps. Uh, our staff has come up with some kind of plug and play opportunities for you as our church family. You might want to snap a picture of these. They're on our website, but you can go ahead and snap a picture so you can have them as a record to be able to start getting connected uh, for some of these opportunities. The first one is a family serve week. Family serve week is July 11th through 15th. This is an opportunity for your whole family to get plugged in and serving with one of our strategic partners, the Baptist Children's Home in Kinston. It's a week-long opportunity. Anybody can go to it, and it could be a part of serving there. So I'd encourage you maybe get them plugged in with that one. The other is what we're calling the Urban Garden Experience. In Wilmington, there are a lot of urban gardens where people raise, fruit, raise vegetables for people that are impoverished that maybe need some help or encouragement. Uh, our two oldest and I did this a couple of years ago. We went and, and did some weeding and we helped uh, plant some things and, and, and help care for that. It's a great opportunity, again, for whole families to get involved in engaging intentionally with our community to seek a gospel transformation. Uh, another way that you could do this is to consider some ways uh, within maybe your own small group to say, what are some ways we can be intentional about engaging in our community? As a group, what can we do? Can we host a, a cookout in our community? Can we uh, give out things at a local park? Are there ways that we can engage intentionally so that we don't just allow our summer, our staycation to be wasted, to be an unintentional use of the time that God has given us? You see, refreshing, rediscovering our community refreshes us to engage intentionally. Now, this first one we talked about kind of adjusts our priorities. We think about our lives. We want to use it intentionally. But the next three that we see may adjust our perspective. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to be a series of church-sponsored service projects. 
I don't want my only missional opportunities to be things that the church facilitates for me. No, I want to develop a perspective, uh, an outlook on life, wherein I can be a missional uh, person every single day of my life, where every context becomes the context for missional living, not just the ones that the church says, hey, go get involved in this, but a, a way in which my whole life becomes that context. So what we see in this next description uh, that helps us change this perspective is this. We see that Jesus saw clearly. He saw clearly. Notice what it says uh, as we continue on. When he saw the crowds, you might say, well, why did he see the crowds? Well, this is this like the obvious interpretation part. He was looking at them and he saw them. And so some of you guys are thinking, okay, Jeff's about to lay some real heavy Greek information on us about this word saw. It's some deep theological word, but I want to just kind of rest and put you guys at ease. It's just the word saw. He just saw them. He saw the people that were around them. But we know from Jesus's life that when he saw people, he truly saw him. He truly saw them. He didn't look past people to the next group. He didn't look past people to the next opportunity. He looked at people. He looked at them. And even though the people and places may have been familiar to Jesus, they didn't fade into the background for him. You see, he saw people and situations with a different lens than we often do. There's a great story, an interesting interaction in uh, the, the Gospel of John from the life of Jesus that illustrates the way that he sees differently. Notice this. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Do you guys notice the difference between Jesus's perspective and the disciples' perspective? You see, the disciples saw this man's infirmity, this challenge. They saw this as an opportunity to argue about whose fault his blindness was. Whose fault is it that he's blind? But Jesus saw this as an opportunity to glorify God. You see, Jesus saw this situation with clearer eyes than his disciples did. He saw this situation uh, in such a way that he saw what was going on in this man's life. And I think that, friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't look at people very often. You know, we may see them, but we often see them for what they do. We see them as a, a grocery store clerk. We see them as a landscape architect. We see them as a Walmart greeter or a gas station attendant, but we don't actually see them. We don't see them as people created in the image of God who has a soul that will never die, who is made for a relationship with their creator. We see them for what they do, but oftentimes we don't see them for what God calls us to see them with. And that is a new set of lenses a set of lenses that is derived from God's word. We see in 2 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul says this. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Some of your interpretations may say, or your, your uh, translations may say, we don't see people in a purely human way anymore. The reality is that God calls us to see people with a new lens because oftentimes when we think about transformation, we think about whenever we come to know Jesus, he just changes us personally. Right? I don't do these things anymore, and now I do these things. But he doesn't just want to change the outside stuff that we do. 
He wants to change the way that we look at life. He wants to change the perspective that we have on people, on their problems, and on their solutions. You see, what we want to see is not people as problems, as inconveniences, or as challenges, but we want to see them as people made for God, made for Him. And so I want to challenge you over the course of this next week, as you go about the things that you normally do, to begin to engage with people intentionally by seeing them. And it may be as simple as this, going to the grocery store that you normally go to and actually talking to the clerk, asking them how their day has been, asking them their name. Usually it's on a name tag. You can address them by name and make, it, make, make them know that they are not just part of background noise, that you see them as a person created in the image of God and that you care about them. If you go to a restaurant, it's a great way. You have a captive audience for a good portion of that meal. You can begin to talk to them, ask their name, and then maybe pray silently about them before they bring their meal. Maybe you can go to different places than you normally go to. This is an opportunity for you to go to places, maybe a restaurant that you may have to make a different budgetary decision on, but to go to a different restaurant in Wilmington where you can see new and different people to be able to engage with them intentionally. And I wanna challenge you parents here. This is a great opportunity to disciple your kids, to help them see that every person is made in the image of God. Whenever you begin to address people by name, it goes a long way for them to know that they are seen and that they are loved. I would encourage you and challenge you in that. So rediscovering our community refreshes us to see clearly, but not only do we see Jesus seeing clearly, we also notice that Jesus cared deeply. Jesus cared deeply. Notice what, uh, what Matthew says. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Jesus's response to them is conditioned upon how he saw them. Remember, he did see them. Remember, he did see them in their struggle. Jesus saw the deepness and pervasiveness of their sin he saw the desperate plight of their blindness and lostness. And we know that Jesus saw some of them in evident ways. There were some people that were desperately broken from the outside, but then there were some who may have looked all right on the outside, but who were desperately broken on the inside. And Jesus cared for each of them. Now in our Bibles, we don't necessarily get the force of the language. We see he had compassion for them. And in our mind, something like sympathy comes to mind. He felt sorry for them. He just kind of looked at them and said, oh man, that's kind of a bummer. Like they're having a tough day. But, the, but the, the intensity of the language is more like he had a gut-wrenching response. He had a broken heart as he saw the people that were struggling in his community. But notice he didn't just have a broken heart because they were having a hard time, that they were down on their luck, that they had lost their job, that they had they had something happen in their family. No, he was, he was heartbroken because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, the people that were supposed to be caring for them, the leaders of Israel, were not caring for them. They were not shepherding them in a way that honored God. They were heaping burdens on their backs. They were making it more difficult. They were letting them go and do their own things. They were not protecting them. They were not defending them. They were not caring for them. They were not leading them. And Jesus saw that the people were in a dangerous and precarious situation 
and they were unable to help themselves. So his heart was broken for them. Now, you know, I know uh, in myself far too often when I see something going on, I see somebody having a difficult time or maybe my, I see somebody in the culture making a foolish decision, maybe decisions that lead to their ruin. The first thing is not compassion. Oftentimes the first thing is criticism, isn't it? Oh, look what they did. If they'd have just done this, that wouldn't have happened to them. We begin to criticize and condemn. Maybe it's not on a big scale, but maybe it's in, in a local way. You're, you're in, in a store and the cashier isn't as pleasant as you want them to be. They don't give you everything that you've asked. Maybe they are rude to you. And, and the first thing that comes to your mind is criticism. How dare they be rude to me? Don't they know that I'm the customer here? Like, don't they know that their job is to make me happy here? How dare they do that without even wondering what might be going on in that person's life? Without even wondering what it is that's going on with them? How can I be compassionate with them? And the reality is that for many of us, if we're honest, we could truly care less about the people that we interact with. But the, what we see in this is that Jesus does the opposite. Jesus doesn't care less. Jesus cares more. Is there anyone here that is grateful that Jesus cares more? He cares more than we do. He cares more. And I began to meditate more on this passage. I began to realize in our society, the people that we interact with, though they had no true shepherd that they were following, every one of them was being shepherded. Every one of them was being shepherded. The reality is that every person in this world is being shepherded, whether it's by the world, whether it's by their flesh, or whether it's by the devil, every person is being shepherded. They are attaching their affections to somebody with hope that they will be cared for and protected only to find that those shepherds don't care. Only to find that those shepherds are in it for themselves and not for the sheep. Only to find that those shepherds could care less for them. Maybe for the people that we read about in Matthew, it was religion and religious leaders. They were looking to them for their source of security. But guys, the possibilities are endless. There are people that are giving their affection to money, hoping that it will shepherd them to a great future, hoping that it will build for them a life of protection and security and satisfaction. Maybe it's power, maybe it's sex, maybe it's acceptance and approval. Those shepherds say, come to me, give me your life and you will get what you want only to leave the people that pursue them beat down, broken, disillusioned, and destroyed. You know people like that. You know people like that who work with you, who live next to you. Maybe today that is you. Maybe today you would say, I have gone after shepherds that have failed me. I've, I know what it means to be downcast. I know what it means to be distraught. I know what it means even now to feel the heaviness of my choices, some that I've made, some that other people have made, but you went after a shepherd that promised to give you life. Maybe it was a relationship and all you found was loss and brokenness. But the great news is this, that there is hope for you today. 
You see, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I do not take my sheep's life. I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. He says, come to me and find satisfaction and fulfillment because there is a shepherd that not only cares for our community, but he cares for you individually. Maybe you've gone through a difficult time. Maybe you uh, are in the midst of a difficult time and you're saying, is there any help or hope for me? Jesus says, I care enough to die on the cross for you, to take the judgment of God in your place and to rise victoriously from the grave so that you can have eternal life. And he offers that to you freely today. There are some of us today who know what it means to be cared for by the good shepherd. Maybe you've walked through that trial and the Lord has been there with you all along the way. And you, and you remember back to the times where he carried you and you could not walk. You remembered that he comforted you and protected you. I would only challenge you not only to reflect on that and to give God thanks, but to remember those opportunities to share them with your neighbors, to tell them the goodness of our shepherd, to tell them the faithfulness of our shepherd. So maybe for us, it's moving beyond just getting to know our cashier or our neighbor, but inviting them over to learn about their lives, to learn about their story, to hear what's going on in their lives and how they are challenged so that you can begin to build a relationship with them to point them to a good shepherd who truly cares for them. You see, the friends, as we rediscover our community, the question becomes, do we have enough care? Do we care enough about our community to point them to a shepherd who cares? Do we point them to a shepherd who cares? Now, as we do this, we may begin to see the needs all around us. We begin to see clearly. We begin to care deeply. We begin to engage intentionally. We start seeing progress. We're ministering to people. We may think, well, I've done it. I've invested all this time. Look at there, I've, I've met with this neighbor and this neighbor and this neighbor. I'm all good. I've done it as much as God wants me to do. But then Jesus helps us with perspective a little bit more, doesn't he? Notice what he says in verse 37 to help us evaluate appropriately. He says this in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus changes his metaphor from sheep to harvest. See, he looks out over the crowd. He sees this vast multitude of people who are harassed and helpless. Maybe for us, we'd think impossibility. There's way, way too many of them, but Jesus just sees opportunity. He didn't say, man, there are so many broken and lost people, there's no hope for them. He said, no, look, there are so many people who are distressed and downcast because they've been looking for love in all the wrong places. They've been going to the wrong shepherds, to the wrong wells, to the wrong, wrong places. And there is an answer that we have to satisfy the deepest longings of their souls. It was true 2,000 years ago when Jesus said this. It's true today where there are millions of people in our world, some who reside next door to us, who have still not heard the good news of the gospel. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that until you take your last breath or until Jesus returns, there will always be an opportunity to minister to somebody. There will always be an opportunity to minister to somebody. The question is, do you see that opportunity as an opportunity for gospel impact? When you look out over our community, what do you see? Do you see people who are hopeless or do you see an opportunity for gospel impact? 
Do you see people and places as eyesores or do you see places as places for eyes to be opened? Do you see your community as a mission field or as a minefield? A mission field means a place where we can go and gather a harvest. A minefield is a place that we want to stay away from. Are you looking for ways to engage with your community? I think if we are honest, we can identify those places. Some of the places that we look at and we say, ah, those are a little bit off limits for me. Those are places that I don't want to be in. And I want us to be refreshed in our perspective about those places. There are places all around us, downtown Wilmington, that we can invest our time in, harvest opportunities. But the reality is, staycations are mostly taken right in our backyards, right in our own community, right in our own neighborhoods. And so while we are passionate about local missions and overseas missions, we don't wanna move past the people in our communities to reach those in other areas. We wanna invest time in our own neighborhoods. One of the things that I believe, truly believe that the enemy has seduced us in for not sharing the gospel is to look at people's external appearance as evidence of whether or not they're in a right relationship with God. We look at people and on the outside, they may look like they have it all together. Maybe they're successful. Maybe they're in places of power or, 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 um, or great opportunity. Maybe they are leaders in our community. Maybe they are people that seem to be very moral on the outside. What we see in scripture is that money and morality do not make people right with God. It's only what we do with Jesus. So we want to have opportunities to see our own community, our own neighborhoods as a mission field. You see, all of our community is an opportunity for gospel impact, not just those who are, from our perspective, destitute, but those who are also outwardly having it all together. Rediscovering our community refreshes us to evaluate appropriately. But the last thing we see, these are all perspective, but Jesus then moves us to an action, to a direction. And that's this, pray earnestly. Jesus tells us in verse 38, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, what I think is interesting here, we notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say like a coach out there, all right, guys, we see, the, we see the, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, get out there and get them, guys. He didn't do that. He didn't say, you go here, Peter, you go here, John, you go here, Mark. He didn't tell them to go out and do anything. He said, pray. He said, pray. Rather than prayer being the last resort in Jesus's mind for missional living, for Jesus, prayer is the first remedy for a shortage of laborers in his harvest. And friends, I want you to take notice of the adverb that is provided here. He says, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. You see, this is the kind of prayer we see in scripture of a man whose son has been possessed by a demon who comes to Jesus begging him to get that demon cast out of his son. It's the kind of prayer that we see prayed when someone's life hangs in the balance or praying for God to do a, a great work or maybe even a miraculous work in their lives to bring them back from the point of death. 
And Jesus uses this in this context. Why? Because he recognizes that the stakes of this prayer are eternally high. The stakes of this prayer are eternally high. And our longing is for God to send out or to compel a movement of missionaries to take the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Not confidently, uh, not confident in our abilities, but confident that God will bring his people to himself. He calls us to be faithful. He calls us to share. And I know one of the things that we are passionate about here, we you may have heard it multiple times, is that we don't wanna be a church that's known for our seating capacity, but for our sending capacity. That is not for how many people we can get into a building, but how many people we can send out into the field to reach their neighbors for the gospel. But what I think this passage helps us to see is that our sending capacity will only be as vibrant as our seeking capacity. That is, the people that go out will only be as vibrant as the prayers that we offer on God, on their behalf for them to go. The question is, are we praying earnestly that God would send people to, to reach others with the gospel, to share the good news of the hope that is found in Jesus? And we see in life that prayer inevitably leads to action. We see God move as we pray. We move as we pray. It will always be the first thing in our lives, but it will never be the last thing. God calls us to go even as we pray for people to go. And we know that this is a prayer that God will answer. Just a few verses later in Matthew chapter 10, we see what happens. These 12 Jesus sent out. These 12 Jesus sent out. We see a quick connection between Jesus saying, pray earnestly. And then we maybe just assume for just a moment that the disciples obeyed. And they started praying right then. And then Jesus says, all right, now go. Can you imagine the disciples for a minute? Like, dang it, he got us again. He said, pray to God to send out people. We prayed and here Jesus sends us out. He got me again. But the reality is this. God answers this prayer. He answers the prayer to send people into his Harvest, And I think it's a beautiful picture here. When the people praying become the answer to their own prayers. Have you considered that maybe that's God's call for us, for you to pray earnestly first, for God to send out people into the harvest, but first to pray, God, send me into the harvest. God, send me into the field that is ripe for harvest so that you may have a great gathering of people that hear the gospel and are transformed by your word. A challenge for us as a church over the next week or two weeks or three weeks or however long you have to pray for God to send out laborers into the harvest as you drive by churches on your way to work or on your way home, pray for God to stir up people's heart in that church to go and to share the gospel. As you think about your own church family, people sitting beside you right now, pray God, would you stir their heart to go and to share? They have people that I never interact with. You know who they are, God. Would you stir their heart 
to share the gospel. And then I want to challenge you, even in that, to pray, God, would you give me a heart for the lost? Would you give me a heart for my neighbor, for my coworker, for the people on my kids' teams? Would you give me a heart for your harvest, Lord? As we close this morning, we know that it's easy to be consumed in the familiarity of our context. It's so easy to get wrapped up in our own world that we miss the opportunities to minister to other people, that we don't look above and outside of what we normally do to see the opportunities that God has given us. But friends, God's desire for us is to rediscover our community so that we can be refreshed for living on mission and for loving others through service. As oftentimes, vacations give us opportunity to leave our routines, to leave our communities, to leave our our rhythm so that we can see the possibilities around us. As we stay this summer and as we stay for the rest of our lives, I want to encourage you to maximize your routine for the kingdom of Christ. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song that's relatively familiar to us. We've sung it before, oftentimes, where we're going to sing to Jesus. We're going to sing to him. We're going to tell him that we will follow him anywhere. That we'll follow him anywhere that he calls us, wherever he calls us to give up, we will go. The reality is, as we look at scripture, he is always calling us to go. Right now, he's calling us to go into our community with the glorious news of a God who saves. The question for us today is, will we go? Will we answer the call of the King? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be your people first and to be your messengers. And I pray, Lord, that as we go out of this place, that you would help us to rediscover our community, that we would be refreshed, that we would see people clearly and that we would want to show them the love of Christ and the good news of the gospel. I pray that you would empower us for that today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.